Do you want to talk about books? Yeah. Hello, and welcome to A Well-Read Life. This is a place to share stories about good books and the reading life. I'm your host, Beth Jamison. Join me as I meander through my reading journey and discover the books that make up A Well-Read Life. Tucked into your corner of our guest room is my childhood bookshelf. My husband painted it a deep coat of brown when we first got married in an attempt to refresh it and bring it up to date. It is small, barely reaching to my chest, and overflows with a small collection of books from my childhood and other middle-grade books I've collected over the years. I like to think that this is a carefully curated bookshelf, housing only the books that I would have loved as a young girl, and that these books are given a place of honor by resting on its shelves. They are stories that delighted me then and still do today, full of truth, humor, and enough adventure to keep me turning the pages. My first copy of The Hundred Dresses and Daddy Longlegs are on this shelf, Harry Potter, and my small collection of Roald Dahl and E. Nesbitt books, the Anne series, Dear Ramona Quimby, A Little Princess in the Secret Garden, The Wind in the Willows, well-loved old copies of Mary Poppins in the Park, and Winnie the Pooh, which I have yet to read but soon will, and a copy of Charlotte's Web, which no self-respecting bookshelf should ever be without. Perhaps I'm overly nostalgic or sentimental of my childhood, but with a few exceptions, I find the books written in recent years pale in comparison to the books I read as a girl. As I said, with few exceptions, I don't find as memorable characters as the books of my childhood. The Anne Shirley's, the Sarah Cruz, the Ramona Quimby's, Dear Charlotte and Wilbur. These were the characters I wanted to be, the ones I wanted to emulate in my life, the ones I spent hours of my childhood with. Occasionally, though, I will find a new release that belongs on this bookshelf. It is tailor-made for my younger self, who could have only dreamed of finding a book like it. A Place Staying the Moon by Kate Albus is one such book. It is the type of book that I feared was no longer written, one I would have cherished in childhood, revisiting the story often like a dear friend, staying up late at night curled at the foot of my bed with only the faint light from the hall bath to see by. And now it is about to receive a place of honor on my childhood bookshelf. A Place Staying the Moon is a new publication. It came out this spring. You may have seen it floating around on the internet, and believe me, it is worth all the hype. It is one of the best books I've read this year. Churchill Socks is another, and it has quickly become the book I'm recommending to everyone. A couple of months ago, I was at my favorite local children's bookstore, The Story Shop, and my friend Julie recommended this book to me. She has flawless taste in middle grade books. I bought the book immediately after her description, and it was the best book purchase I've made this year. The book takes place at the start of World War II, when the London school children are evacuated to the countryside for safety. The three Pierce children, William, Edmund, and Anna, a group of well-to-do young siblings, have just laid their grandmother to rest. She was their last surviving relative. With their grandmother's death, the children are now orphans, 
and without a guardian to care for them. Their lawyer, Mr. Ingersoll, comes up with a plan. Send the children to the countryside with the London evacuees in hopes that they will find a forever home with their foster family. It is a bold plan and one which seems likely to fail. Once out of London and in the countryside, the children face a round of increasingly hard foster homes, settle into their new surroundings in spite of these circumstances, meet an increasing amount of difficulties with courage and grace, and form a friendship with a local librarian at the Lending Library, a woman who shares a complicated history with the village. It is a tender book about the bonds of siblings, what it means to find a home, and the beauty of adoption. I touched on the theme of home in my last podcast episode on the sin of water. If you listened, you know how dear the idea of home is to me. And as the sin of water so beautifully illustrates the value of home and place for adults, this little book illustrates it for children. But while Mary Lindsay finds a home in the start of the sin of water, the children in a place to hang the moon are in search of one. After all, it is what the action of the story hinges on. It is a mighty task and a heavy burden to place on their young shoulders. There are a few homes which the children find themselves in throughout the book, but they are poor answers to what a home should be. Their first home in the London residence of their austere grandmother is a place without warmth or love. Their second home, and first as evacuees, is with the village butcher, his wife, and their cruel twin boys. The twins make it their aim to be as demeaning and torturous to the siblings as possible, singling out Edmund especially for the majority of their abuse. When a prank goes awry and Edmund is accused of vandalism at the school, the siblings are sent to a second foster family in the village, the home of a Mrs. Griffith and her four young children. Mrs. Griffith is a sour, parsimonious woman who takes in evacuees in order to supplement the meager income she receives from her husband's army pension. The children are underfed and overworked in Mrs. Griffith's home and the lending library in the village becomes the children's refuge and their surrogate home for a season. It is where they spend every moment of their free time, perusing the shelves, and in the early winter months, lounging in front of the warm fire to escape the chill of their second foster home. Here they find a bookish kindred spirit in Mrs. Mueller, the librarian. She is kindness itself to the children, offering encouragement, help, book suggestions, and wonderful bookish chats. It is also the place which will lead them to the home which they have longed for all their lives. Much like the list of the qualities I consider to make up a home that I mentioned in the last episode, William, Edmund, and Anna have their own criteria of what a home should be. They want it to be a loving place, with parents who think they hung the moon, a place of warmth and comfort and refuge, a place of bedtime stories, hot cocoa, and warm toast slathered with butter. They are small demands and infinitely wise in their desire. In short, they want a home of good things, simple pleasures, and love. As a reader, I was charmed by the Pierce's criteria for their new home. With each description of the warmth and coziness desired by the children, a smile would pass my lips, and I would mark another passage in the book. The picture of home that the children envision is a place of contentment and rest, Isn't this what we all want of a home in our deepest heart, I mused? Such simple wisdom in this sweet book. And when the children finally do find their home, it is, like the very best fairy tale, the happiest of endings. Better than can be imagined, in fact. But to see which home the children choose, you must read this book for yourself. 
It is easy to spot from the beginning, perhaps, but there are many twists and turns throughout their journey that will keep you anxiously turning the pages. In addition to its portrayal of home and family, one of the most delightful parts of A Place to Hang the Moon are the many literary references peppered throughout the book. And to my utter delight, Kate Albus includes a reading list in the back curated from the books her beloved characters read. William, Edmund, and Anna are young bibliophiles in their own right, and as they are preparing to evacuate London, they are dealt a devastating blow and told they can bring only one book apiece to their new home. Their decisions must be made with care. The Pierce children don't yet know how or if they will be able to supplement their reading once they arrive in the village. Unaware if it has a lending library or if their foster family will have a bookshelf to borrow from. The books the children choose show the varying personalities of the three siblings. William, the responsible older brother, he was the character I identified with the most having four younger siblings myself, chooses to take a volume of the encyclopedia to continue his goal of reading through the entire set. Not the best choice, but it shows the character of this young child, steadfast, loyal, responsible. He soon regrets his choice. Thankfully, he is given the chance to read a book for pure pleasure and escapism later. A very well-known mystery, but again, you will have to read the book to find out what it is. Adventurous and mischievous, Edmund chooses the Count of Monte Cristo, and tender-hearted and optimistic Anna chooses a little princess. A book that will prove helpful in bolstering her up and offering hope through many dark days in their foster homes. I've shared before in episode 32 about my love for a little princess, and I love how Kate Albus brings echoes of this beloved story into her own book. As a child, my life was filled with the best stories. Stories of wonder, truth, kindness, humor, goodness, books that called my imagination into life. But with so many years distance from those tender years, I'm left wondering, what are the books that will fill this current generation's childhood years? I sometimes look at the new books on offer and am discouraged, and I can't help wistfully thinking who will be their E.B. White, or Roald Dahl, C.S. Lewis, Ellen Montgomery, or Elizabeth Googe. As the mother of a young child, I think of this often. What books will my daughter choose for her bookshelves that my husband lovingly built to fill her walls? I have the dear privilege to choose her books now, but a few years more and she will choose them. What books will she return to for comfort, strength, humor, and truth? I hope that she will take the time to curate her shelves carefully with some discernment and only fill it with books that last long after their newness has worn away. Books like A Place to Hang the Moon, which I hope will be one that finds a place of honor among her shelves. Read this book if you are looking for a tender story of home and family. Read this if you are looking for a book with all the best qualities of a tried and true classic. Read it for a sweet story of the bond of siblings. Read it to show children a true picture of bravery, and that although it sometimes comes by fighting an epic quest, mostly it comes in the quiet moments of life, when one must do simply what is asked of them, despite the desire to do otherwise. Read it for its delightful literary references and warm heart, and may you and the children in your life be charmed by this delightful story. I briefly touched on the Pierce children's dilemma to choose one book to take to the countryside. Can you imagine being in this predicament yourself? I did a little thought experiment as I read the book and tried to figure out which book I would bring 
if I was in the Pierce's situation. A bit like the game of what three books would you take to a desert island, but I think it's more fun. So I want you to try. Which books would you choose? Think of your absolute favorite book when you were a child. The book that enthralled you, that you returned to often for comfort or companionship. Would you choose this? Or, like Anna, would you bring something you've never read before? And what book would you choose now as an adult? Remember to picture yourself in the specific scenario of the Pierce children. It is wartime and you are leaving your home for an undetermined period of time, perhaps forever, and you can choose only one book. Now, here is a little challenge for you. In addition to reading A Place to Hang the Moon, which I hope you will go out and buy immediately, take some time this summer to reread the book you chose. I'd love to know which book you chose. Would you mind sharing? There are a couple of ways to do that. You can comment on today's Instagram post, I'm at WellReadBeth, or you can join the new A Well-Read Life Facebook group. This is where I'll be sharing my picks, which as usual was very hard for me to narrow down. Now, you may be like me and have a love-hate relationship with social media, but let's try to redeem those murky waters and create a place of beauty, redemption, and kindness in the midst of it. I look forward to hearing your answers. Well, that's all for this week. I'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. If you're interested in ordering a copy of A Place to Hang the Moon today, I've included an affiliate link to bookshop.org in the show notes. Until next time.